Regulatory Guide 146, in short, RG146, is a financial regulation issued by ASIC. It relates to the minimum training you need to sell financial products. But what exactly is an RG146 qualification? What do you need it for? And how is it different to an AFS license? You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 142 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. To find out more about RG146, I turn to Mark Sinclair the head of Mentor Education. Mentor Education runs a lot of RG146 courses that people do to receive an RG146 qualification. So I ask Mark, what on earth is an RG146? What is RG146? So ASIC, the um, regulator in the industry, establishes a series of regulatory guidelines. And one of those regulatory guidelines is RG146, Regulatory Guideline 146, which specifies the minimum education requirements that people need to do particular roles in the financial services industry. So there's a range of different courses and some people enter the financial services industry with a cert board in financial services and mentor provides that program online be done over a, up to a two-year period, but typically people take on average six to 12 months to do that program. But there are also a range of courses for different areas. So if I want to be a paraplanner, if I want to be an assistant advisor, I would do the Diploma of Financial Planning or recommend that be done. And that particular course meets the RG146 requirements for paraplanning. It's a holistic program. So you're able to give holistic advice in insurance, investment products and superannuation and be able to do planning from that perspective. It would allow you, once you've completed the diploma, you could then go on to do straight into year two, typically of most universities, to do the Bachelor of Financial Planning and complete year two and three. Again, you could do that online, part-time, over a period of time. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a two-year block, you can extend the time because ultimately you've got 16 units to do. And once you finish the Bachelor of Financial Planning, then you could start to work, in, firstly in a supervision year, as a financial planner. Now, there are other aspects of RG146 as well because if I'm already a financial planner and I want to give advice in another aspect of financial planning, let's say margin lending, or derivatives or foreign exchange um, or self-managed super funds, then I'd have to go on to do another RG146 specialist course that would give me the knowledge and skills I had to actually give advice in that area. So there's actually not one G146 course. There are many different versions and they all focus on different aspects of financial planning. And depending on what you want to do, you need to do this topic or that topic or that topic. Well, that's exactly right. And it's because being in financial services or being a financial planner is a big responsibility and it's something that you only go into if you really care for the financial well-being of your clients. 
you have to be there for really their lifetime, for all their moments or life stages or life events. People are saving for a whole range of things, for their business. They might be saving for their child's wedding. They might be saving for retirement. They might be saving to investment property or for a home. People have got a whole range of financial goals that have to be aligned with their risk tolerance. And really, as a financial advisor, financial planner, or aspect of the financial service industry, you're really there to look after the best interests of your client over over their lifetime and potentially even intergenerationally because people are planning for their estate plan in terms of how they bequeath to their children. They might be looking after elderly parents in terms of aged care. It's an evolved area and as such, there's a lot of knowledge in specialist components and really to be a financial planner or a financial advisor is a profession that involves lifelong learning. You never really get to the point where you know everything and financial service is always evolving. There's always legislative changes and as such, you must keep on top of that so that you, you know, provide the best advice that you can to um, the mums and dads, the retail clients of Australia. So, so how is RG146 different to an AFS license? You need an RG146 to get an AFS license. Is that it? Australian Financial Services license is required by dealer groups. And a dealer group or an AFS license holder can employ financial planners and they're called authorised representatives of that AFSL. So to have an AFSL, you actually manage the process and the people that actually give advice are authorised representatives. And they can be employed or they can be self-employed working on a commission basis, paying fees to the AFSL holder for the services like software, training, insurance and the like. So typically, if you come across a financial planner, they might be salaried and they might be working in in an organisation, you know, wealth division of a bank, for example, or they might actually have their own practice out in in a suburb, for example, and they would be an authorised representative of the licence. There's typically also another tier in between sometimes, like an AFSL might have a corporate authorised rep representation given to a business, and then the business might have a series of authorised reps under it. I see. And every authorised rep, it's an RG146 qualification for the specific areas they are giving advice in. That's right. So it's such a diverse industry, one of the largest industries in Australia financial services. So I could be in member services in a superannuation fund. I could be just giving a general advice over the phone to mums and dads interested in their superannuation. I could be in a life insurance office doing the same. Um, I could actually just be giving personalised advice just in insurance, just in superannuation, just in a particular managed investment. The industry is is huge. The job opportunities are really diverse. It's typically a well-paid industry and it's one where you can make a big impact. Coming back to two questions I sent through to you. The first question was, what advice does an RG146 allow its holders to give? And the answer is actually depends on what qualifications you have within that RG146 qualification. There is not a specific area that you can advise on. It completely depends on what course you did. Correct? Exactly, exactly. 
And then the second question was, why do many job ads for SMSF or text positions request that applicants hold an RG146 license, but no employers seem to ask for an AFS license? And I think the answer is, now from learning what I just learned from you, I think the answer is that the employer already has the AFS license, but they need to keep this AFS license. They need to make sure that Anybody working for them who gives advice has an RG146 qualification for that area of advice. Well, that's exactly right. It's minimum entry requirement. It's a profession. You can't be an accountant without having an accounting qualification. You can't be a lawyer without a legal qualification. You can't be a physiotherapist. You name whatever profession you want to talk about. It requires a minimum education standard. And that's all set at a regulatory level. The same for financial services. The minimum education requirement is conditional on the advice you give, as you said, and it's set out in ASIC's regulatory guideline 146 or RG146. I see, hence the name. Is there a register of RG146 qualifications or you just keep it as a as a copy in your file and if the uh, If ASIC ever comes knocking, then you show them that all your employees have an RG146? No, there's a national register. Oh, okay, there is. There is, and it has your qualifications, and it's the responsibility of the AFSL to keep that up to date for all the authorised representatives that are under that AFSL. I see, okay, yes. So there's a national register of AFS licences, and I think ASIC runs that one, correct? Yes, absolutely, yep. And then within that register, there's also note of every authorized representative for that AFS license. And being an authorized representative just assumes that you have an RG146, or is it actually noted which RG146 exactly you have? Uh, it's noted exactly what your qualifications are. What you find is if you sit in front of a financial planner, the very first thing that they will give you in your very first meeting, and it could be by email beforehand is a financial services guide, an FSG. And in that, we'll have all the details about who you are, what your qualifications are, what advice you can give, right? And which, of course, is relevant, related to your qualifications, but also... When you say you, you mean the authorised representative. That's right. So if you were a financial planner, then, and I was your client, when I sit down with you, you would give me a financial services guide. And in it, it would have probably your photo, a bit of a bio of you, it would have your qualifications, and it would specify what you're authorised to give advice in. It would also have your fees, it would also have the services you provide, and it would also have any the process if you have any complaints or concerns and how you can go to, to have that mediated. So really, it's highly regulated in terms of ensuring that the appropriate information is provided to all retail clients and it's highly regulated in terms of what you can say, what you can give advice in, what you can't give advice in. And you would have a fiduciary responsibility towards me as the client to ensure that you act in my best interests. So that's the minimum expectation. But really the ideal scenario is that you would really have my interests in your heart in that you would be trying to ensure that I could achieve my financial goals, whether it would be to avoid risks and security, so you might help me with insurance to make sure, you know, in case I got ill or and I couldn't work and um, I couldn't pay my home or whatever, that I would be covered in that scenario. And if I did get sick or whatever, you would be the first person I would call and I'd go, Heidi, please, um, am I covered? You know, I, I've got my mortgages to pay 
have you put there's the insurance in place to cover it and you would help. And if I was unfortunate enough to pass away, then it would be my wife or my family members that would reassure and um, help, you know, expedite payments for permanent disability or for death coverage or whatever it might be. And likewise, I have financial goals and aspirations and my daughter's wedding might be coming up in a few years' time and um, you would help me start towards that. You might ensure that I've got an emergency fund in case something comes up and I've got a bit of liquidity. You would help me invest appropriately to achieve the goals. But being very mindful of who I am because I might be happy to take quite risky bets but my wife might be quite conservative. So we're both your clients so you would help discuss and navigate that process. Equally, if I've got an aging parent and I'm anguishing about whether they go into a nursing home or retirement village or whatever it might be, if you're qualified to give aged care advice, then you would um, support me in that way to make sure that that was appropriate for my aged parent, but also that it was financially appropriate. Right this minute, there's an aged care royal commission on and a number of aged care providers. There's lots of options about how they take they get remunerated for looking after their aged care clients. And there's three or four different options at least, but there's one option that's going to be really cost-effective and you would help me navigate to choose that option. Coming back to RG146, how does ESSEC police the RG146? Are there actual audits to make sure that Everybody who gives advice is listed and has an RG146 or is that only audited when there is a complaint from a client? It's not hard to um, Google all the criminal prosecutions and imprisonments and of people who um, give advice when they're not authorised to do that or qualified to do so. So no, it, it's highly enforced and there are sometimes people out there that give financial advice and um, take people's money for schemes and all sorts of things. But if you do anything that is in relation to a financial services product and um, there's some things that are deemed a financial service product and some that are not, so property investment is not a financial services product. But a a managed investment, share, things of that nature, foreign exchange, derivatives, there's a whole range, life insurance, superannuation. If you give any advice on those areas which are deemed a financial service product, you must be authorised to do so and if you're not and you give advice well then there are criminal and civil penalties associated with that and it's policed. A licence is only required if you give specific advice to a client as long as you just talk generally and you you discuss the difference between a family trust and SMSF for example you you highlight that this is only for entertainment then You don't need a license for that, correct? Not exactly. There's really three types of advice. If you're just talking factually to a friend or whatever and just talking about something that's on the internet and, you know, like what is superannuation or you might have a view on it, that's just factual, right? But there's two categories of advice that you must be authorised for and one's called general advice and one's personal advice. Personal advice is where I know who you are, I know a bit about you and I say, Heidi... I think you should do this or I recommend you do this. It'll be good for you. In effect, I'm giving you personal advice. Okay, now if I do that, the advice must be in writing. I must give you a financial plan. You must agree to that whole process and um, 
I have to go through the financial service guide, a fact find, the financial plan proposal to you, and you'd have to give me authorization to give you that advice. So it's a highly prescriptive process. Yes, but if I don't say you need to do this, if I don't say in any way what you should do, and I just talk about my understanding of this or that, then it's okay? No, it's not. There's three categories. I, I got to the factual one, the personal one, but the general advice one is um, in that situation, I can't just talk about any financial services product without you being aware it's general advice. I need to give you a general advice warning uh, in writing and you need to have signed that. I'll just give you an example. In the early 2000, I think, the very first prosecution I'm aware of was Henry Kay. He was a property promoter and he would get a whole range of people up in front to run seminars. And in that, he would talk about the um, benefits of investing in property. You'd say, How many, what's the average amount of money that someone has in a superannuation? And say, well, it's under 100000 Can you live on that? No. So you've got to take your own finances in hand and develop your own invest to actually for your retirement. And then he then went into property. What he was doing was he was talking about superannuation and he was talking to a group of people that he knew something about because they were all came for a particular seminar and ASIC prosecuted him in that case or his company for giving general advice whilst not being authorised to do that, not being qualified to do that, not being licensed to do that. So, no, you can't. You can't just talk generally about a financial services product without being authorised. I see. You can't talk generally about a financial services product to people you know. If you talk generally about a financial service product to people you don't know, is it then okay? No, you can't give any form of advice to anyone in any situation. So let's say on this podcast, could we do an episode about what the difference is between managed fund and managed accounts without having a license? Yeah, we could give factual advice of that. So an education type scenario, but we'd have to be very careful to not make any recommendations and and be very clear right up front that it's just factual advice only. I see. For your entertainment. Yeah, I, I can't turn around in the public and say you should invest in this type of life. You know, everyone should have life insurance. I shouldn't say that. I can't turn around and say um, to an audience or you couldn't turn around and say um, there's a really good investment that people should consider, right, and then go into that. You've got to be, you've got to be very careful to anticipate what people will do from what you say. If that investment went wrong, if they took out insurance and didn't cover them appropriately, then they would come back knocking on your door and they would look for redress or recourse from and try to recover that money from you and they'd been entitled to. So at the end of the day, it's really essential that if people are going to act on what people say and there's a chance that that will occur, that you're qualified, that the information is accurate, that don't make recommendations... But to answer your question specifically, if it's just factual advice, and then that you can do that. But you've got to make it very clear that you're not giving any financial advice in that process. What do you think of the accountant's exemption that is rumoured to come back? I did an interview with the uh, CEO of BGL. Ron Lesh a while ago and apparently there is something happening behind closed doors to bring the accountant's exemption back in one form or another? I think that would be highly unlikely. The accountants did have an exemption for 
a decade or so. There was a deadline. vast majority of them then went and got a certain degree of qualifications so that they could actually give advice. I said on a more macro level, it is highly likely there will be convergence of accounting and financial planning. Accountants, you know, are trusted advisors. Um, they give a lot of accounting advice and there's a big overlap between financial advice and accounting advice. But there's a lot of new knowledge areas. You have to learn about insurance, you know, which is risk management and that's not something that's covered in accounting qualifications. At Mentor Education, you know, we deliver Cert 4, Diploma, Advanced Diploma of Accounting, and you no know, insurance is not in there. Likewise, investment products is not in there. There's no training in relation to that, um, reading product disclosure statements, comparing different investment products, at least three, uh, making a recommendation. That's not something that's included in the accounting qualification. So it wouldn't make any sense without having the RG1 for 6 qualification behind them to talk about or give advice in product areas that they, they haven't been trained in. However, accountants, because if they've particularly if they've got a, a degree already in accounting, then it wouldn't be too much for them to be to actually study the required units that they would need to add financial planning to their accounting qualification. So, for example, if they've already got a degree and they've been in the industry for a while, they would probably do the Graduate Diploma of Financial Planning. Graduate Diploma has eight units in it. They're likely to get exemptions maybe for as many as four of those units. So maybe over it wouldn't be too hard to actually do that. I think what we're actually seeing with accounting practices is accounting practices are adding financial planning units to their practice or divisions. They're employing financial planners or they're entering into a partnership or a venture with financial planning to offer financial planning services to their clients. So that's highly likely, but it would be a very aggressive move and highly unlikely for accountants to get an exemption to give advice about insurance or manage investments without the, the training. That would be, you know, there's a huge, there's been a, a push for more than a decade supported by both, by all the major parties to ensure that whoever gives advice has the appropriate education to do so. So to go backwards so that accountants could give advice about insurance or investment products without actually being trained in that space or have the RG1 for six training would be, I couldn't conceive of it. I couldn't, couldn't see it happening. The accountant's exemption is more rumored to come back around SMSF so that an accountant can give advice on minimum pension payments and whether and how to set up an SMSF, etc. The accountant's exemption would just be around the fringes of SMSFs. Well, look, possibly. There's no doubt that um, some accountants have done the education in SMSFs and they give good advice there. There's some accountants run audit services and all sorts of things. But not every accountant and every course that an accountant's done touches on self-managed super funds. So it would be highly contingent. But again, if someone has the RG16 training in that space, absolutely they should do it. And lots of accountants are trained and do well in that space and that area back to front. So setting up a self-managed super fund is one thing. Auditing a self-managed super fund is another. But advising someone that it is appropriate for them to open a self-managed super fund or close one in the context of their total financial plan 
is another thing altogether. I think it'd be contingent on their experience. So if an accountant wanted to advise on opening or closing an SMSF, they need to get AFS license. Because the RG146 only works if you're working under a license. If you are a sole practitioner and you don't have a license, you need to get a license. Then the RG146 is not enough. But of course, if one partner in your firm already has an AFS license, then you just need to get an RG146 for the area you want to advise in. Correct? Yeah, whoever gives the advice must yeah, be authorized to do so and they must have the right qualification to do that. At the moment, accountants, unless they have, uh, unless they're authorized to do that, take instructions from a client, but they are not allowed or, and don't give um, advice on whether they should a client should open or close a, a self-managed super fund. If anyone wants to move into the space of actually giving advice in that regard, then they do need to be authorised and qualified. Yeah, and not just authorised and qualified, they need to work under an AFS licence, correct? That's right. And so that when you say someone's authorised, they're authorised by an AFSL as an authorised representative to give advice. Yes, so they need to work under the umbrella of a licence. Yes, yeah, as an authorised representative. The most interesting thing... Well, you've got two people in the audience, potentially. You've got those that maybe the mums and dads who are interested to, to know that they get advice from the right person, but you've also got you've got people who want to work in the industry. There's just so many options available to them. I mean, you might want to be a bookkeeper. You might want to be an accountant. You might want to be a mortgage broker, a real estate agent. You might want to be a financial planner, a power planner. Oh, by the way, what's power planner? You mentioned that word before. And what is a power planner? The stepping stone to becoming a financial planner is typically you first work as a power planner. So a power planner is a, pro a professional who prepares the financial plans. So the financial planner would typically do the fact find, understand the requirements and give a brief to the power planner. And the power planner would do the legwork create or draw up the financial plan and give it to the financial planner to review and then the financial planner would present it to the client. But it's a, an entry role in the financial plan profession or wealth profession and it's a great place to really develop strategies, develop your skills, hone your skills and that's typically how you might start in the industry for the first number of years Then you might move on to being an assistant advisor, working closely in a professional year or uh, under supervision for a couple of years um, from a financial planner. And then you would then work as a financial planner yourself. It's very similar, I'd say, to the law profession. Right? You don't just finish your law degree and then become start a lawyer. You've got a professional year still to do. And you work as a paralegal. You might work as a paralegal to start with. That's right. And in financial planning, there's legislative requirements to do an exam immediately following completion of your qualification and now there's also a requirement to do a professional year. The regulatory guideline 146, RG146, that ASIC expects or mandates for anyone who gives advice to a mum and dad, a retail client, is appropriate for the advice you give. So there are a number of RG1 for six qualifications and courses that people can do, specialist courses that people can do. And that's because to be a financial service professional means lifelong learning. It's stimulating, it's exciting to be a financial planner because there's so much, the industry is changing, legislation is changing, the options available 
to clients is changing all the time. And to keep the best interests of your clients at heart, you need to keep up to date with that so that you're always giving advice on the best products, the best services, the best strategies that are available. And as such, ASIC has a broad regulatory guideline that outlines the different qualifications that you need to give that advice. And basically, the bottom line is that you must have the knowledge and skills in the area to give that advice. And ASIC mandates professional development each year to keep abreast of those things, but it also expects that if you're going to give advice in a financial services product area, like life insurance, like uh, superannuation, like managed investments, derivatives, you name it, that you've actually got the knowledge and qualification you require in that particular space. Welcome back. So there is not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to RG146. The qualification you need entirely depends on the advice you give. In the next episode, episode 143, Chris Evans of UNSW will talk about tax reform in Australia and why it is so hard. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaff for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.